gospel took the good news to the city and shared it with the people there, uh, including, uh, and most largely, a bloke called Epaphras. So if you've got your Bibles, let's read together from Colossians chapter 1, verse 7. We're still in the bit of the letter. You know when you write a letter at school, they teach you first, you put your address, and then you put your name, and then you put the date, and half of you are going, no, you got that wrong, you put the date first. And then you say, dear so-and-so, how are you doing? I'm just writing to ask you about this and this and this. Blah, 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 blah. Hope you keep well. God bless. Mary. Um, Same in the old, oldie days. They had their own style of writing letters, and usually it started with, G'day, this is who who is writing to you. Um, By the way, this is who I'm writing to. So if you're not that person and you're reading this, um, why? Although Paul often said, read each other's letters. Uh, And then usually what happened then in a letter was you would uh, give thanks for the people. You'd you'd thank the gods for them. You'd get on and say what you wanted to say, and then you'd finish off the letter. Paul is writing a letter, and so he does that. He says, you know, this is from Paul, and I'm writing to you guys in Colossae, and I'm going to give thanks, not to the gods, I'm going to give thanks to God for you. And I'm going to pray for you, and I'm going to... I'm going to going to ask God to do amazing things for you guys. And we're still in the bit of the letter where Paul is praying for these people. So he's thanking God for them and praying that God would work in their lives. Let's read from verse 7. Uh, you learned about the good news from Epaphras, our beloved co-worker. He is Christ's faithful servant and he is helping us on your behalf. He's told us about the love for others that the Holy Spirit has given you. So, We haven't stopped praying for you since we first heard about you. We ask God to give you complete knowledge of his will and to give you spiritual wisdom and understanding. And then the way that you live will always honor and please the Lord and your lives will produce every kind of good fruit. All the while you'll grow as you learn to know God better and better. We also pray that you will be strengthened with all his glorious power so that you will have all the endurance and all the patience you need May you be filled with joy, always thanking the Father. He has enabled you to share in the inheritance that belongs to his people who live in the light. For he has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear Son who purchased our freedom and who forgave our sins. Why don't we pray? Lord God, thank you so much that you purchased our freedom and forgave our sins. Thank you that we are yours, not by anything in ourselves, not because we are worthy of it, but simply because you love us. Thank you, Father. Lord, I pray that this morning you would challenge us, challenge us to live for you and encourage us with the knowledge of your strength and presence with us. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would make that message real in my life and in the life of every single person sitting here that we would realize that we are children of the living God who is with us and who is working within us to make us like you. Father God, thank you for your presence here. Enable us to understand your word, to apply it to our lives. Give us wisdom. Give us spiritual discernment and understanding so that we might be a people who honor you. Amen. In Matthew chapter 25, Bella will start throwing it up there. We won't read it all because it's, it's quite a long parable. Jesus tells the story of 
um, a, a rich landowner who has a couple of servants and he's going to go away for a while. So he calls them in and he hands out some money to them. We tend to call it the parable of the talents, which is a little bit confusing because talent doesn't mean, you know, I can juggle while playing the violin. Talent means, you know, dollars. So maybe the, the parable of the dollars. And so this master gives, um, you know, to one servant he gives a certain amount, to another gives another amount, to another he gives another amount, five, three, one. He goes away. After a while he comes back and the first one has, you know, used the money wisely and he says, look, master, here it is. I've, I've doubled your money. And the master's like, well done, good and faithful servant. Come enjoy your master's uh, pleasure, basically. I'm, I'm going to give you even greater responsibility. Same with the third one. He says, well done, good and faithful servant. Come in. Uh, more responsibility. The last one comes and says, well, you're a, you're a hard master. You're, you're, not, you're not an easy person. So I, I buried the dollar you gave me and, you know, it's safe. Nobody's stolen it because I, I buried it good. And the master basically says, you wicked servant. At the very least, go and put it in the bank and earn some interest on it. Um, you know, get lost and takes the one dollar and gives it to the guy who's ten. It's, it's an interesting parable and we're not going to go into detail in that, but the line that sticks with me from that and which probably sticks with you, I, I hope, is where the master looks at the first two servants and says, well done, my good and faithful servant. Well done, my good and faithful servant. That the master is pleased with those who set out to please him. And one of Paul's concerns as he writes to the Colossians is, is exactly that. His ambition is that they live lives that honor God, that please God. Uh, that, that they be the kind of people who produce every kind of good fruit. The kind of people in whom, as Paul was saying last week in the first eight verses, the kind of people who... who the gospel takes deep roots in and produces all sorts of fruits of godliness, of Christ-likeness. And, and I think Paul would be saying exactly the same thing if he wrote to us today. And the question then is, well, how do we actually do that? How do we live lives that honor God and that please God? How do we, how do we make, uh, live the lives that make God smile? You might remember last week we looked at, uh, last week, last year we looked at the book of Galatians. And in the book of Galatians, Paul was going against some teachers who'd arrived in that church saying, look, if you want to make God smile, Jesus is all very well, but you have to do X, Y, and Z as well. And the whole message of Galatians is, well, you don't need to do anything extra to make God happy with you. But you know, so often, so many people assume that God's basic attitude towards us is one of... <sighs> disappointment. We sang that song, Boldly I Approach Your Throne, and, and so many people are like, well, you know, it's not a bold approach to the throne because, you know, God's probably going to be just a little bit disappointed with me because, you know what, I, I, I failed him there, I failed him there, I'm, I'm, my life doesn't honor him completely, and isn't it unfair of God to say, I want you to live a life that honors me, that pleases me, that produces all the fruit of, of holiness when he knows full well that we are sinners? So many people think that 
one day when Jesus returns or when we go to be with him that God will look at us with a bit of a sneer, the, the lip curling up at the side and say, well, I didn't expect much of you anyway. So many Christians don't expect God to look at them and say, well done. Do you know, Jesus told us about the kind of God, the kind of master who says well done to those who set out to please him. And Paul's argument to the Colossians is that we can actually live lives that please God. But there's one essential ingredient which Paul needs to make clear to us. And that we find in Colossians chapter 1, verse 9. Paul says, we haven't stopped praying for you ever since we heard about you. We ask God, what do we ask God? We ask him to give you complete knowledge of his will and to give you spiritual wisdom and understanding. Then, then the way you live will always honor God. Then the way you live will be pleasing to God. Then your lives will produce every kind of good fruit. If we are to live the kind of life that honors God, if our lives are to look like Jesus' life, then we'll need two things. We'll need a complete understanding of what God's will is, and we'll need the wisdom and understanding to apply it into our lives today. If, if you want to please someone, it really, really helps to know what they want. If we're going to please God, we need to know what He wants. We need to know what His will is. And the only way for us to know what God wants, what God's will is, is for God to tell us. It's very easy for us to sit and say, well, God's will is this. But I can't tell you what, what Brett's will is for lunch today. Because he hasn't told me. I can tell you Brett is, Brett's will is that he has a double quarter pounder from McDonald's for lunch today. And half of you will go, yeah, I believe that. That's true. That's good. And then John pipes up and says, no, I think Brett's will is that he'll have a pizza for lunch today. Am well, I making you hungry, Brett? <laughs> is it, the thing is, unless you tell us what you want for lunch, we're not going to know. You probably haven't even thought about it until I started bringing it up. Um, how, just hands up, who finds it really easy to buy presents for other people? Val does. I've, you know, some people just seem to buy everything that they need, so it's really hard to buy a present for them. Other times you're going, I actually don't know what they want. I don't know where they're at. My, my, one of my nephews had a, had a birthday the other day. They've been in Kananara for a long time. We haven't seen them for a while. And we were thinking, well, what do we get them? So what do you do? You phone up the mother or father and you say, what does your child actually want? Because you want to please them, you want to know what they want. The only way for us to please God is for God to tell us what his will is. And it's really important to, to notice that it all starts with God revealing what he wants to us. It's not about us saying this is what 
God is going to do. It's not even about us saying, I'm going to live a life that pleases God. Because if I set out to live a life that pleases God without knowing what pleases God, I might statistically get one or two things right, but the rest of the time, I'm just as likely to get it wrong. You know, there is a part for us to play, even though God is the one who says, this is what, what I want, this is my will. And Paul says, I pray that God gives you complete understanding of his will, but, but there is a role for us. I could say to you, my heart's desire is to get a new office chair for Christmas. And you take that in and you write it down and you say, that's fantastic. Come Christmas time, I go to the Christmas tree and under the Christmas tree, there's a 72-inch large green TV. And I go, I don't need either of those, by the way. It's a nice gift, but it's not what I needed or wanted. You know, if somebody, if God says, this is what I want, our role is to step in and say, well, I'm going to set out to do your will, God. I'm going to step out to live for you. I'm going to put you first. I'm going to put your kingdom first. Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And, and it takes spiritual wisdom and understanding to, to act on that, to apply it in my life. For example, God's will is that justice be done. What does it mean for justice to be done here, in this circumstance, in a schoolyard where there's bullying happening, uh, where there are refugees, perhaps. Well, you know, whatever issue it is, what does that actually look like? And, and I love that Paul says, you know, even that, applying that, God give them wisdom and understanding. You see, when we, when we come to understand what God's will is, and, and when God gives us the ability to apply it in our lives, then we can set out to, to live the sort of life that pleases God. And you know what? We're going to get it wrong every now and again. But we're setting out to do that. And Paul adds there, he says, you know, as we do that, we actually grow in our knowledge of God. What does he say in verse 10? The way you live will always honor and please the Lord, and your lives will produce every kind of good fruit. All the while, you will grow as you learn to know God better and better. It's like the self-reinforcing loop. God says, you know, this is what my will is. We say, I'm going to do that, God. Help me to understand how to apply that now and to live that in my life. And as we do that, we come to understand more of what God wants. And so we try and put that into practice and more and more, and it just grows and grows and grows. And and that's true of any relationship. The more you invest in someone, the more you get to know and love them. It's it's got a a self-reinforcing quality to itself. And because God is infinitely great and infinitely good, there is infinite opportunity to get to know God more and more and more. Um, can we throw Job up on the screen there, Kate? Job chapter 42. You know the story of Job, and an honorable, honorable man, a man of integrity, a man who loves God. Come the end of Job, he says, speaking to God, well, God, I'd only actually heard about you before. Now I've seen you with my own eyes. I take back everything I said, and I sit in dust and ashes to show my repentance. In other words, Job is saying, wow, God, I thought I knew you, but I, wow. Paul, Philippians chapter 3 verse 10, this man who spent his whole life after encountering Jesus on the road to Damascus, telling people about Jesus. What does Paul say in Philippians? He says, I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death. You know the interesting thing that he says there? I want 
to know Christ. Paul knew Christ, but he's saying, I wanted more. I want more. I want to know Christ more. I want to experience more of him. I want to be like him in, in his life, in his suffering, in his death, in everything. But Paul's point here to the Colossians is that everything in this life to please God has to start with God and it has to finish with God. You know, in that parable that Jesus told, the parable of the dollars, it started with the master giving dollars to his servants. And same thing here, our life of pleasing God has to start with God giving us a knowledge of what he wants. And this knowledge of God, by the way, is not just knowing about God because Satan and the demons know all about God. There are many people who will have a large knowledge about God. This, this is about knowing God personally, relationally, getting to know where his heart is at. So God will reveal to us what he wants and we are to step out and live lives that honor and please God and we are to produce every kind of good fruit. So get out there and be perfect this week. Amen. Why did you guys laugh? Bit of a nervous laugh as well, isn't it? Isn't that unfair? That feels a bit unfair. God tells us what he wants. And then he says, live that out. He knows our weakness and our frailness. He knows everything about us. And he says, well, you know, just do good. Be perfect. There's a wonderful sketch. You can see it on YouTube. This counselor sitting over there and uh, lady comes in to talk to him and she's got some serious issues she's got relational issues and she's got uh, eating disorder and she starts telling him about it and he says you know I bill in five minute increments blah 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 tell me your problem she tells him she tells him and he says okay well this is going to go quicker than I thought Um, stop it (laughs) she goes what he says stop it she says is that The whole sketch is this guy's solution to everything is just to say, you know, snap out of it. Just be perfect. Just stop whatever you're struggling with and just, you know, be okay. Is that what Paul is saying here? God will tell us what you need to do, so just be it. Done. It reads a bit like that. I don't think it is, though. (laughs) Luckily. You know, God's much more like a parent than he is a sadist. I think God delights in our attempts to please him. He doesn't, he doesn't look at us and, uh, and, and be disgusted with our failures. He looks at us and, and loves us. And, and he loves us when we are trying to please him, even if we stumble and crawl and fall. If, we are, if our eyes are set on him, I, I believe he looks at that with great joy. And let's not forget this, this other thing that God is the one who says this is what I want. God is the one who gives us wisdom and understanding. God is also the one who grows the fruit of himself and his character in our lives. And it is God who comes and lives with us and in us and transforms us to be like Jesus. But 
you might have noticed that I've only ever looked at the first half of our verses from today. Because Paul not only prays that God would give us complete knowledge of his will, that he would give us wisdom and understanding, Paul goes on to say, uh, right over here, may you, we also, verse 11, pray that you will be strengthened with all of his glorious power so that you will have all the endurance and patience you need. All of his glorious power. Pray that God would give you strength for endurance and patience. You know, being a Christian isn't a guarantee to an easy life here and now. Jesus himself said the Son of Man doesn't have a place to lay his head. Jesus himself was beaten. Jesus himself was crucified. So were his apostles. Most of them died horrible deaths. This world we live in is hard. There are spiritual forces that stand against God and anyone who stands on his side. And our own sinful self, which is, which is dead, but it's like a, a, a de-headed snake still snapping and trying to destroy. If we are to live lives that honor God, to live lives that please God, if we are to bear good fruit, then we can only do that if God gives us the power to do it. We need God's power to endure. We need God's power to be patient. And so that's what Paul says. He says, guys, what I really want is for you to live lives that honor and please God. And to do that, God's going to have to show you what that looks like. But, but I also pray that God gives you the power, the capacity, the wherewithal to actually do that. Of ourselves, we can have the best of intentions to set out to live holy lives. But it will deplete our willpower faster than we can imagine. So Paul says you can't do it by yourself. God, give them strength to endure. Give them strength to be patient. And the thing is we can trust that God will do that because God has already, verse 12, acted to enable us to share in our inheritance, in his inheritance. By ourselves, we could never live to please God. Romans chapter 8, verses 7 to 8, Paul speaks about the sinful nature that can never please God. Uh, the sinful nature is always hostile to God. It never did obey God's laws. It never will. That's why those who are still under the control of their sinful nature can never please God. Paul goes on there to say, but you're not controlled by your sinful nature if you have Christ's Spirit living in you. And Paul says here in Colossians that God has acted to rescue us from the kingdom of darkness and transfer us into the kingdom of Jesus, his son. God has bought our freedom. God has forgiven us. God has done it. Everything we are comes from God. He has already given us entry into his kingdom through Jesus Christ. Already God looks at us and is pleased with us through Jesus Christ. We are associated with Jesus and Jesus lived the life that perfectly honored God, that perfectly pleased God. And we can trust that he will enable us to live lives that honor him. It's not just a case 
of Paul saying, live to please God, live on lives that honor God, know what God wants and set out to do that. It's the case of set out to do that knowing that God has already taken hold of you. It's a case of being set free by God and empowered by God. You know, Christians are free in that we are free to not sin. We have a choice. But, you know, verse 12 might seem too good for some people. He has enabled you to share in the inheritance that belongs to his people who live in the light. He has qualified you, says some translations. So many people feel unqualified for God's kingdom. Perhaps we look at the first half and we say, well, you know, I can set out to live a life that honors and pleases God, but I know that I fail, and I know that I have failed in the past, and therefore I am surely disqualified from pleasing God, because every time God looks at me, he will remember the things that have disqualified me. That's what Paul says here, the end of Colossians chapter 1, verses 12 to 14. He says, when God looks at you, he doesn't think of the things that you have done in the past. He has forgiven you. He has set you free. The power of sin has been broken in your life. And it's because we know that God has forgiven us, because we know that God has set us free, because we know that we are his, that we want to please God. And because we want to please God, we say, God, tell us what would please you. We know that you love us. We know that you've forgiven us. We know that we are with you. We know that nothing can snatch us out of your hand. But we want to know what we can do to make you smile, God. What we can do to honor you, to seek you first, to seek your kingdom first. Give us a complete knowledge of your will. Tell us uh, how to apply that in our lives. Give us wisdom, God, because, you know, it's confusing how to apply all these things. Is it right to do this in this instance? Is it wrong to do that in that instance? Is this a good thing? Is this a bad thing? Well, it's a good thing, but is it wrong to do it? You know, it's complicated. God, give us wisdom and understanding. And God, when we set out to do that in our own strength, we cannot do it. Our own willpower is weak. You know, when Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he went out to the Garden of Gethsemane and he brought some of his disciples along and he said to them, you know, watch and pray. Pray for me. And he went off and he prayed and he came back And they were asleep. And he said to them, you know what? The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He he was saying, you guys want this. But you don't have the capacity to follow through. Isn't that just so true of us? We, We can want to please God, but in of ourselves, we don't have the capacity to do it. Romans 7 is all about that. But there is good news. God, would you give us the strength and patience to endure, to say yes to you in everything and no to everything else. Because we are yours. You give us everything in the beginning. You look after us in the middle. And we will be with you forever because of what you've done. Help us to live lives that honor and please you. When we fall over, we get up again. And we say, God, 
I want to live a life that pleases you. And you know what God says? He says, how dare you fall over? He says, good thing I died for you. What did you do again? I've already forgotten it. I've forgiven you. If we confess our sins, he is gracious and just and forgives us. And he sets our, ha- our head and our heart and our mind towards him. Each moment, each day. Amen.